You've done it now. Killing all those bats you called goblins alerted the carnies. The bats distinguished them from other farmer carnies. Now they are just regular farmer carnies. Bygones, Angel. Now, we must focus on the current situation, man. They have us surrounded. There's no easy way out of here. Unless... Unless what? They think we are the goblins. <laughs> That's it. I've watched the highly acclaimed TV miniseries written by my lord and savior, Stephen King. Storm of the Century. Watch this. Hey! Farmers! Give up one of your children and we won't do to you what we did to the bats! What? Why are we kidnapping a child? Because... because get this through your thick skull. These folk are superstitious. If they don't appease us... And by us, I mean me, we, and I mean you, will disappear them. But we really won't? Angel, 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 angel. It's the only way. If they want to continue living their way of life and not go the route of the lost colony of Roanoke. Is that our next episode? Welcome to another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again, joined by Angel. Now, Angel, just something quick before we begin this episode. I found out recently that you got the collector's bug. It bit hard and it has left its mark. Specifically, your love for being outside and going to different and new places was the catalyst for this one. You told me you always have with you a mason jar wherever you go, mm -hmm. just in case the perfect specimen is out there. That specimen being the air around you as you collect air samples from very special places. You told me one day you were looking at a cloud and you said, huh, I wish I could get a part of that cloud. So you went for the next so you went for the next best thing, really the next closest thing, the air all around you. So what is it about air that made you want to collect it? When you're outdoors and you've been in the city long enough, when you go outside in the outdoors and you, and you don't hear any of the traffic noises, you just take a deep breath in and you notice something. There's something different there. It's... It's what the Chinese call chi. There's chi in the air. The air is chi. There's chi. But it isn't. Yes, that's the thing. That's mm -hmm. what I want to collect. I suppose, though, no matter where you go, are there certain criteria that you grade your collection on or certain characteristics that you are looking for in your air? First, I have to get that feeling, that, that special 
It's like a, it's like a wind chimes that aren't there. And then that little voice that whispers, this is it. And there's another voice whispering, but I ignore that voice because that's the voice you don't want to listen to. You never want to do what that one says. And then you open up the jar and don't collect the air just yet. You got to let the air go in the jar so that the jar can then take on its qualities. You close the jar, right? And then you shake the jar a little, then you open it up again so you can push out that air so that it mixes with the natural air. So now you have natural air and jar air mixing all up together. And that, that right there is when you capture it up again. And that's what I want. The mixtures. What is the best air that you have found? Is that your prime specimen out there? You, you mentioned it earlier when, when you said how I wanted to capture a cloud. On the top of the Smoky Mountains, close enough to the clouds. You got some smoke in there. Yeah, got mm-hmm. some of that blue smoke. Do you, do you ever, like, pop the top and just take a, take a whiff? Oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that. that. That ruins it. The moment you open it up, that air is gone. The point of the jars is that you know where they were at and what is inside of them. You never open them. Never. That little voice, that one I told you to ignore, <laughs> that's the one telling you to open them again. No, 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 no. You don't listen to that voice. I'm, I'm concerned now that there's two voices whispering in your head. Well, I mean, those are the two that I've acknowledged. There's others <laughs> deep down waiting. So let's turn our attention then to some odd things in the news. This one coming from unexplainedmysteries.com. I always love articles just like this one. It says, Australia's oldest man credits very unusual diet. So it says, Australia's oldest ever man has explained how a particularly unusual diet has contributed to his longevity. At 111 years old, it's as old as Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings, retired cattle rancher Dexter Kruger is not only the oldest man in Australia, but also the oldest man ever recorded in the entire history of that country. While many super centenarians have attributed healthy living and exercise for their extreme old age, Kruger has revealed that the secret to his success is a weekly helping of chicken brains. He detailed his penchant for this unusual delicacy during an interview with Australian Broadcasting Corp. Chicken brains, he said. You know, chickens have a head, and in there, there's a brain, and they are delicious little things. They're only one little bite. His son, Greg, who himself 74, attributes his father's simple life in the outback for his longevity. The oldest living human on Earth is currently Kane Tanaka of Japan, who is over 117 years young. So have you had chicken brains? I have not. No? No, but now I want some. Apparently, they are the key to long life in Australia. And that's the thing that I always love about these articles. The first question is, it's always on like local news channels where they talk to some old person. And they're like, what'd you do to get to be this old? And like the old lady just stares at the camera and like doesn't know what to say. They don't know where they're at. Like, yep. Is there anything that jumps out as some crazy thing that people usually do to try to, uh, like, say, this is how I got long life? Well, I, I know I've seen one where they attribute something that in common every day we're, we're told is bad for us, like smoking and drinking. So they'll say something like, yeah, I've smoked the cigarette every day. That's why I'm this 
<laughs> yep. I've had three cigars and a, three glasses of whiskey every night since 1971. And, and there was one where the lady said she just abstained from sex, and that's how she got old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Does it work? I mean, it, it worked, worked for her. her. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you were to be... 113 years old and the local news channel accosts you and demands an interview because you're old what wild claim would you tell them has kept you alive this long i'll just go for the classic um selling my soul in 1942 in the trenches <laughs> i sold my soul to the devil yeah because you know they're not gonna air that <laughs> so it gets you not to be on tv <laughs> yeah <laughs> my favorite thing about these stories is i always look at the age and I think about that age, like mm-hmm. this guy's 111 years old. I remove the hundred and I think about when I was 11 years old and I'm like, man, he's living a second life. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. He's almost a teenager again. <laughs> you just start over at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I would do if I got interviewed at that age, I would go full crazy and say, like, I'm actually a time traveler <laughs> from the year 2465. But what I do is eat three wax paper tulip liners used for making cupcakes a day since I was 51. <laughs> and they're like, this is how I did it. <laughs> if you go extremely detailed, people will listen and might be like, maybe it's, maybe it's true. <laughs> I eat the pink and yellow ones, never the blue ones. The blue ink is harmful for your kidneys. And then they're like, well, maybe he really knows what he's talking about. He's from the future. (laughs) (laughs) Something funny about this article is the comments on it. There's one comment here that stood out to me. It's pretty much uh, the person laughing at these kinds of stories, kind of uh, going off of what we were saying, how these people always say something different uh, as to to attribute why they've lived so long. He says... The result is far more reliant on genetics of that population and general lifestyle than I eat chicken toes or some crazy crap. <laughs> so first of all, why did he go with chicken toes? Uh, chicken brains was crazy enough already. <laughs> so he could have just kept that one. He didn't need to change it again. <laughs> so now he's saying, "Hey, but I think I think the toes are more common to eat than the brain too." <laughs> right. So so he's pretty much saying that oh, the reason these people live long is because of genetics. And the general lifestyle. And then he goes on to say, do you know what the most, most of the longest of people on planet Earth have in common? Eating whole foods and lower caloric intake. <laughs> so I thought it was genetics. Now he's saying it's eating whole foods? <laughs> yeah, Which one is little, it? <laughs> a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> a little bit of selling your soul. <laughs> the other article that we have is also from unexplainedmysteries.com titled $50,000 offered for proof of America's Nessie. And you're knowing you're a bad spot when you're referred to as America's Nessie. They can't <laughs> even say your name <laughs> to know what people are looking for. But it says, a businessman in the U.S. is offering a large cash prize in exchange for proof of the lake monster known as Peppy. Loch Ness is not the only large body of water with a monster legend. Over the United States, there are several similar fables, including that of Pepe, the monster of Lake Pepin, which sits on the Mississippi River and is bordered by both Wisconsin and Minnesota. 
Like the Loch Ness Monster, it is described as a large, long-necked creature, and it has been sighted by visitors and tourists alike for years. Now, Larry Nelson, president of the Lake City Tourism Bureau and owner of the 125-passenger paddle wheel boat, Pearl of the Lake, is offering a significant sum of money to anyone who can provide, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that the elusive lake monster actually exists. Nielsen himself is quite certain that it does, having witnessed it several years ago. To claim the prize, wannabe monster hunters will need to provide a clear photograph of the creature along with some form of of biological sample. So what's the point of the picture then? Uh, (laughs) Some form of biological sample that will be subject to stringent DNA testing. The money will be paid out if the sample is found to have come from an unknown creature. What do you think of this bounty on a cryptid? I don't know. I I mean, at first I thought maybe he was interested in it, but it to me it sounds like the same kind of bounty that um, professional skeptic James Randi mm-hmm. yep um, had his for, bounty for on. proof of the like ghosts and the supernatural. Yeah, and kind of like. Pretty much saying, uh, making the statement that that money's never gonna get paid out. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe this is what he's maybe might people might interpret it that way. Another way to interpret it, he is the president of the Lake City Tourism Bureau. So if you're offering fifty thousand dollars to come start searching Lake Pepin, my God, I've lived in Wisconsin for I don't know how many years and I've never even heard of Lake Pepin or Peppy, <laughs> then it's. It's something to try to get people out there. Maybe not the people that you want to because they'll be doing invasive things trying to catch biological samples of creatures in the lake. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if he's tourism, maybe they'll start uh, businesses cropping up to Mm -hmm. give the hunters uh, tools and whatnot. You need need a peppy hunter, a peppy detector. It's like it's like the Wolpertinger when I said that attractive women in Germany should start up their businesses to help escort men into the woods in hopes of finding a Wolpertinger because they need the beautiful woman and the beautiful man together. <laughs> yep. So what do you think is the best way to find a water-based cryptid? We need to send the submarine down there and skilled swimmers that can hold their breath for long periods of time. So, so they have to they just hold their breath. They can't get air tanks. No, no. <laughs> See, the problem, the problem with the water cryptids is that nobody can live underwater. You need a creature that lives underwater to confirm something like this, mm-hmm. because they can go anywhere, at least wherever the water pressure, whatever water pressure they can handle, mm-hmm. and they can be able to report. There's nothing in this area. We need a whole damn sea lab under there. I've seen like an entire cartoon based on this. <laughs> need a sea lab. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing ever went wrong there. Nope. <laughs> if if you could put a $50,000 bounty on any cryptid, who would it be? Boy, any cryptid. I feel like it would be... Am I actually going to pay out or is this one of those where I'm like, I don't believe this thing exists? Let's uh, say uh, you, you, you pay out. Okay, so if I'm paying out, it's for one that I would believe, truly believe existed, and one that true uh, that would truly exist would be something more in the realm of reality. So it's not gonna be a Bigfoot, despite what everyone might think, because I don't mm-hmm. think those things are possible, considering the whole <laughs> whatever. 
There's no domesticated apes, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Damn it, J. Michael. <laughs> it would be probably the, the Suchinoko or the MDW. Yeah, Mongolian Death Worm would be. That would be fun. But uh, how many people die trying to find that? <laughs> well, they that's, have, on, have, that's on them. That's on them, really, they right? Need to, they need to keep a journal so that we can read their stories. <laughs> chronicle well and now they can do like video journals and just upload it yep. uh, to some sort of cloud that you could then collect in your jar <laughs> sometimes i mistake the air jars with the syphilis jars god <laughs> and then and then a new voice starts whispering in your ears <laughs> so with those life-altering stories out of the way let us turn our attention to our topic at hand angel We've seen supposed military experiments, dancing plagues, murders, and even vampires. But now, Angel, we delve into the disappearance of an entire colony of people. 117 men, women, and children vanish with hardly a trace. And this ain't just any colony, Angel. This is the first official attempt by the English to establish a colony on North American soil. And they just plumb lost the damn people. This week, we are looking into the establishment and subsequent vanishing of the colony of Roanoke, which is just riddled with mystery. Referred to by some academics as the first American mystery, which makes no sense to me because they weren't American, they were English, and it wasn't the first mystery ever on North American soil. But what can you do besides say to those academics, they're wrong? As our resident colonial expert, Angel, I need your opinion on this. Very few people know this about you, but you spent about 11 very long months with a colonial reenactment crew that specialized in the age of discovery ship life. Your crew, the Bald Eagles, focused on rigging and supplying caravels, which are small exploration ships. With your knowledge, Angel, what are the top five items someone needs when going to a new world to begin colonization? I'm glad you asked this because I am very well-versed in this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you said, 11 long months. So well, the... I saw you do your little hand uh, <laughs> gesture. Yeah, it's the bald eagles. Yep. <laughs> so still, the... still in your lifeblood. <laughs> Every night I dream of going back, living those days under the stars with the sails just flapping in the wind collecting specimens in your jars <clears throat> yes well some some days i want to forget it, but anyway um so top five items when going to colonize a, a new a new world the way you phrased that made it sound like family feud <laughs> <laughs> The first one is a handsaw. I, I understand that. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. Got to make some uh, quick fixes to repair the boat. And and you never know when you need to amputate a limb. <laughs> you scurvy is very dangerous and just end it by cutting off limbs. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because the second item is lots and lots of limes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say oranges. <laughs> no. No oranges. Limes. Mm -hmm. Just limes. Third item. Is a healthy sense of superiority. Is that what you learned from the bald eagles? <laughs> well, you can't colonize a, a people without well, being yeah. superior to them. Mm 
That's <laughs> very true. In the defense of the colonizers, they didn't see them as humans. <laughs> so, well, that solves that problem. Number four, you need a stowaway because <laughs> it avoids lapses of boredom. You can just uh, go around uh-huh. chasing the stowaway. Yep. And, and and very like Scooby-Doo fashion, like <laughs> yeah. people running through doors after yeah, each other. They, they go through the door and then mm-hmm. they show up in the other end. Um, wacky. Yep. Then scenario. you catch them and then you argue about throwing them overboard or joining the crew. But then they uh-huh. have some sort of like magical uh, map that they found. So yep. that's fun. Yeah. Treasure. Mm-hmm. We tried to do that once, but yeah, it didn't work out. And the final one, <laughs> which you once again hit upon. And also the title of an essay that I found on Bartleby, but I don't know who the author is because they don't list the author. So I don't know what's going on there, Bartleby. But the title is Colonization Through Power and Knowledge. The Use of Dehumanization as a Tool for Colonization. (laughs) It's like I know what I'm talking about. Yep. (laughs) Just dehumanize them all. Yep. (laughs) So that is some great insight, Angel. And apparently... Some of that insight that the English in the 1500s did not have because this is, how should I say, a shit show. So one thing that they did have, though, at that time were some tools to help catch the trade winds and make that voyage as easy as possible. So in your expert opinion, was the astrolabe, which helps determine your latitude, or magnetic compass more important on your time with the bald eagles. This is based off my time of of bald eagles, based on the days that we were bored and we didn't have a stowaway. I was reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. Damn good book. And he's trading with the gypsies. And I think they try to trade with him with a magnetic compass. And they're like, no, we don't need this. So clearly that's not important. And the man... Uh, what's his name? Buendia has an astrolabe. So clearly that's the correct answer. I'm afraid that that is incorrect. <laughs> it was option C, Cotton I Joe's razor, the axiom that states for colonizers to have gone to America with the intention of making the first English colony in America, they must therefore have gone somewhere. I think that's how it goes. <laughs> so open up your bald eagles, ye old book of sea dogs, angel. And get your costume checklist ready because we are actually traveling back into time to the year 1585. Do you have your knitted wool mon mouth cap on? Yes. Do you have your fancy lad Elizabethan cartwheel rough collar? Yes. And your wide kneed breeches? Yup. Anything else you need? <laughs> a pocket watch with a nude woman graphic. You're missing one thing here. You got a big old ruffle collar on. You're not wearing a shirt. <laughs> you just got a hat, a collar, and some breeches, and a, apparently a pocket watch now. It's how we did it. It's, it's how, how we did, did it on, it on the bald the eagles. eagles. God. I'm, I'm glad you came home. So let us sail to solve this mystery once and for all. Are you ready? Is water wet? The story goes that nice little Queen Elizabeth I tasked the perfectly groomed devil-bearded Walter Raleigh to establish the first permanent English colony in North America. With that, I am pleased to announce our newest segment, Angel. Are you ready for this one? Sure. Angel's Charter Talk Corner. 
1584, Queen Elizabeth granted Walter Raleigh a royal charter authorizing him to explore, colonize, and rule any remote, heathen, and barbarous lands, counties, and territories not actually possessed of any Christian prince or inhabited by Christian people in return for one-fifth of all the gold and silver that might be mined there. It gave him Angel seven years to establish a colony in North America. Why was this charter better than the one Queen Elizabeth gave Sir Humphrey Gilbert six years earlier in 1578? It was written in pea ink, like green peas. <laughs> I thought you meant like urine ink. No, no, like, that's stupid. Urine ink and, it is. And, and blood. <laughs> Well, that's Angel's Charter Talk Corner. It was a, another, that was just a, a great first episode. <laughs> Here, here's a Raleigh fact for you, though. As early as 1845, Shakespearean scholars believed Walter Raleigh was actually Shakespeare. So do what you want with that information. Oh, I will. You will. So here is the quick and dirty lead up to the lost colony of Roanoke. Raleigh sends two duders to explore the New World in April of 1584. By mid-July of that year, they were in the vicinity of what is today the Outer Banks of North Carolina. They returned back to England later that year and reportedly tell Raleigh that the area was so pleasant and bountiful, it was practically the Garden of Eden. Or, at least that is what Raleigh reported to get more money and people to go there now. So put yourself in Raleigh's shoes, Angel. You just got done writing some of your best work under your pen name, William Shakespeare, and your two exploration duders return and tell you they found this strategic place with nice natives on an island. How do you sell this place to people so they volunteer and give up pretty much everything that they have going on in their lives and move across the Atlantic Ocean? I'm Shakespeare. I'm thinking of stories such as the tempest and oh god a midsummer night's dream and i just evoke imagery from those tales to to the people i'm, I'm recruiting such as, they, they crash <laughs> such as the magical nymphs that will live on this island and 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 sure there's crashing but that's the uh the the hero's journey if you will uh he coined it by the way not campbell walter raleigh yeah, he, he did it. He did everything. He did it all. God, <laughs> Walter Raleigh was just doing so much damn stuff. I'm impressed. <laughs> Raleigh sells it so well. Queen Elizabeth frickin' knights him and makes him the governor of Virginia. So who do you recruit to start your first colony in a new world, Angel? Like, is there a, a specific type of person? And how many would you want to go there? I definitely want the, the brutish type. The ones that don't ask too many questions, you know, it's how I got, it's how, it's how I was able to sell them on the idea. Yeah. Are they going to be women there? Uh, sure. Uh, well, we'll do it. I don't know what kind of accent that is, but <laughs> I, I know that's, they that's had the, different accents back then. Is that your, the bald eagles accent that you talk <laughs> on the ship? See, we, we're well aware that the, the, um, the English did not sound like the English do now. Mm -hmm. So. We made up our own accents. So Raleigh sends around 600 men, mainly soldiers. So you were on the right path there, right? Mm -hmm. To start this colony, and around 300 of them were intended to actually remain there. He appointed a man named Ralph Lane, the governor of the colony, and away they go. 
and almost immediately the dare I say cursed voyage begins one of the seven ships almost sinks immediately they then after a long journey they stop in Puerto Rico for repairs and then they arrive three months later after setting sail so bad planning led to some of the larger ships not even being able to reach the island due to the sounds around it so that's generally the area where a river meets the ocean water and the water becomes like deceptively shallow so surrounding Roanoke Island is a major sound so this left them to then anchor in more dangerous waters. Their biggest ship then is destroyed in a storm because of this, and they lose almost all their food and supplies. At that point, do you go, oh shit, Angel? Like, how do you recover from something like this? You just keep marching on. I mean, this is exactly what Raleigh told us. Um, there's going to be hardships, but once we overcome... Uh, you know manifest destiny and all he also came up with that if we survive this we will be uh, rewarded with all the riches of the land mm-hmm. they'll be like caliban in the, in the tempest right exactly like caliban yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's a freak living on an island so <laughs> with the dwindled supplies of the planned 300 that were supposed to stay behind only 100 could at that point they start building a fort on the north side of Roanoke Island, and then it gets worse. They pretty much can't grow any food and then have to therefore rely heavily on the natives. But they then unintentionally start killing the natives who are helping them with smallpox. Just a little tiny thing like smallpox. This makes the natives, mainly the Algonquins, understandably pissed off. They're just getting killed off because these dudes are talking to them. <laughs> Most of the men of, uh, of Raleigh's men joined simply to find gold and silver. And when they didn't immediately do so, they pretty much thought, well, this whole shit is pointless. Relations continued then to deteriorate with the natives, morale dropped, and then it led eventually to incidents of a supposedly stolen silver cup where the English burnt down an entire native village and their crops so as not to appear weak when the natives couldn't produce the silver cup that they did not steal. So does that sound like a proper response? Not only does it sound like a proper response, but I think it sounds like this colony never disappeared. They procreated and passed their genes down to the people of Van Meter and Hopkinsville because they responded the exact same way when some creature shows up. Instant destruction of it. <laughs> English explorer Sir Francis Drake then arrives at the most opportune time with slaves and supplies that were actually being brought to the colony to, to help them. When he hears of the absolute horrible time that the colonists were having, he was like, dang, 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 dang. Here's one of my ships and about four months of supplies. Then a freaking hurricane hits and drags the boat that Drake gave them out into the ocean where it is just lost. They cannot recover it. At that point, Governor Lane is, is like, well, this shit sucks. Time to go. And they just abandon the freaking colony. Days later, a supply ship arrives to aid the colony. And they're like, what the hell is going on here? Where are they? Where are these people we just spent three months trying to get here for? 14 days later, a relief fleet arrives with a year's worth of supplies and about 400 more people. And then they're like, where the hell are these people to? Everyone's confused where the hell anyone is. After that, a whopping 15 men are left behind to maintain the fort, and everyone else just goes back to England. They're like, well, there's nothing to do here. Everybody's gone. You're one of those 15 men, Angel. 
What is going through your mind? So let me get this straight. The colony already disappeared. Other yep. people show up and then 15 <laughs> yep. of those people stay behind. Yep. Yeah, they show up because they were scheduled to arrive there. But Governor Lane was a poor governor and just abandoned the colony with everybody because life was too hard. <laughs> and then they left with Sir Francis Drake and nobody knew. Poor Sir Francis Drake. He started at the bottom and now he's there. Still at the bottom. <laughs> that's a that's a Drake joke. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> one of those fifteen men left behind. I figure, hey, one man's uh trash is another one's treasure. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So they left they left this beautiful colony behind. That's beautiful. I'll take it. I'm sure there's gold. They're like, damn boys, this is going to be fun. Just 14 of my best bros were going to be staying in this fort on this island. It's nice here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everyone's gone. (laughs) Sounds like paradise. It does. I mean, perfect paradise. One other thing that I didn't mention that you might find interesting, Angel, based on our previous episodes, that Governor Lane and his men got word of the natives having access to a large amount of copper. And they're like, where the hell are they getting this copper? Where are they getting this copper? we got to find it. They could never discover where all the copper was coming from. And then it made them more pissed off and angry at the natives. They have a pact with the water panthers. God, don't they know anything? <laughs> it all goes back to the water panthers. So at this point, Walter Raleigh is like, well, that went great. Let's try it again. So by now, it was 1587, and he puts watercolorist and all-around gentleman artist John White at the helm as his new governor. This time, he's like, Roanoke sucks. We're going with the city of Raleigh. Oh, my God. Uh, You're learning from his mistakes. He now knows that Roanoke is garbage. White and about 115 other people intended to head to the Chesapeake Bay to try for round number two. They were led to the New World by Simon Fernandez with a nickname of The Swine. He was pretty much more interested in pirating than actually bringing them to the Chesapeake Bay. Along the uh, way to the bay, the fleet stopped off at Roanoke where Fernandez just told all the colonists to disembark and then didn't let them back onto the ship. He was like, yeah, plans have changed. I'm going to actually just leave here and go pirate elsewhere you guys are on your own so here you are angel watercolor enthusiast john white comprised his in his expedition mainly of middle-class londoners who had hopes of gaining land in the new world hardly any are soldiers you have effectively been marooned on an island by a man known as the swine what do you do first i alert everyone else saying We should have never trusted a man named the swine. I mean, come on. Don't you guys know what's going on between the swine (laughs) men and the angel men known as the Nephilim? (laughs) This this story is everywhere and people are just (laughs) ignoring it. (laughs) It's it's right underneath their noses. They've never noticed it. This whole thing, it's almost like it's a sign Many signs, many red flags of of nature trying to tell these Englishmen, hey, <laughs> stop do doing this. This. <laughs> this is not a good idea. But they're like, nah, we'll keep we'll keep we'll keep on trucking. Mm-hmm. 
going to choo-choo our way to <laughs> North America, no matter what. In this hypothetical, Angel, what is your middle-class Londoner job that you told watercolor enthusiast John White that you could bring to the new world? Chimney sweep. Wait, I'm pretty sure that's not middle class. <laughs> you, you do a shit ton of chimneys, and you made a whole business around it so how in your cockney <laughs> accent how do you uh, introduce yourself as the chimney sweep oh governor <laughs> oh so you remember those 15 people that stayed behind to protect the fort yep yeah they're gone they're dead bones <laughs> oh, all that were left and they found them when when they got to the fort that's a good omen right it is because i heard that the natives would grind up the bones and use bones as medicine. So if the bones were around, that means the natives were not at fault. <laughs> they didn't kill them. They would have <laughs> took the bones to grind. So White <laughs> investigates the deaths of those men, and it is determined that they were killed by various tribes. Oh, come on. That's what he's told. <laughs> White, not wanting to look weak, he's the new damn governor. He goes out with a crew of men, and they attempt to ambush a village in the morning. Before the sun is even up. Unfortunately. Oh, my God. Unfortunately, they killed the wrong natives. It was actually a village of natives that were previously friendly to the colonists. So White is already botching the hell out of this, saying he was deceived by the natives. So he just got wrong information is what he claimed. It can't get any worse, right? Uh, yes. Nah, it does. It gets worse. Before the end of the year, they were already out of supplies. So White left back for England in an effort to return with aid. Since they were just deserted at Roanoke, any resupply ships would have had no idea that they were there. They would have been looking in the Chesapeake Bay hundreds of miles to the north. In hopes that he could return in several months, White was unable to make it back for another three years. Two weeks before returning to England, Queen Elizabeth ordered all ships to remain on English shores due to the frickin' Spanish Armada coming to England, and as that point, the Anglo-Spanish War delayed his return. He was eventually granted a waiver in 1588 to attempt a return, but that was quickly squashed by a storm which kept them in port. Attempt number two resulted in White being attacked by French pirates two weeks after leaving. Nearly 25 crew members died, all of their supplies were stolen, and John White got shot in the butt cheek. (laughs) Upon returning to England, he was then not given permission to try again until two years later, as Elizabeth was now focusing on making her own counter-armada to attack the Spanish. Is John White just destined to not return back to this colony, Angel? I think nobody was destined (laughs) to go to this colony. (laughs) Cursed from the start. (laughs) It was the Tempest. It was more the Tempest and less Midsummer Night's Dream. (laughs) With a mix of Taming of the Shrew. (laughs) (laughs) So, White is finally able to make the journey back and arrives in August of 1590. While anchored at nearby Croatoan Island, the ship's crew sighted plumes of smoke coming from Roanoke Island. The next morning, they see a different column of smoke, but investigation yielded nothing. They then spent two days trying to cross the sound to the island with what was said to be considerable difficulty and loss of life. Once again, they see a fire, but this time on the north end of Roanoke Island, and they row towards it. By the time they get there, it is night, and they are just at that point feeling uneasy and really just afraid to even go ashore. 
So put yourself in Governor White's shoes, Angel. You spent three years trying to get back to this island. You left your daughter, who was pregnant at the time, with so with her now newly born granddaughter on a different continent that takes three months at least to sail to. Now you are in the water waiting for daylight. Like, what do you do in that moment? I've messed up so many times that I'm just going to put my head underneath the water and just stay there. I'm a really bad governor. <laughs> Have some time to reflect on my bad decisions and just be like, you know what? Why am I here? <laughs> so Governor White and his men, what they decided to do was sing some songs. <laughs> In hopes of alerting people on shore that they were there. Oh, but God. I don't know why then at that point, why then you just go to shore? I don't know. He's a bad <laughs> governor. What do you, so what do you make of the fires on the island, though? That's kind of, like, insidious. Yeah, it's either people trying to live, survive, and setting fire to stay warm, or maybe there was some battles going on, or mm-hmm. maybe it's a signal to avoid coming here. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Yeah, so they they finally land on August 18th, which is very odd, which is White's granddaughter's third birthday of all days. The men see signs of recent activity on the shoreline when they get their footprints in the sand, yet no one attempted to contact them as they sang their songs in their little boat. This indicates then that somebody or something was watching them at night. Further investigation yields that every single person is gone. There is hardly any evidence that there was a colony of nearly 120 people there. So where did they go? Almost everything was gone. It was said even the nails and boards used to construct the homes were gone. Before leaving, White had buried three chests of his belongings, which had been dug up and looted. The only indication of what happened are the letters C-R-O that were found carved into a tree. A palisade wall was constructed by the colonists at some point around a portion of the colony. Upon investigation, White and his men found the word Croatoan carved into a post. What is going on here, Angel? I think there's some sort of secret password here. Mm Mm-hmm. Speak Croatoan and enter. (laughs) Now here is the sneaky thing. Before White left, he instructed the colonists to leave what he called a secret token to indicate where they went if they needed to abandon the island. Beyond that, he instructed them to leave a cross patty as an indicator of duress. That icon being what now is typically referred to as an iron cross. Because there was no cross, White believed the colonists simply went to the nearby Croatoan island, which White was anchored at just days ago. So now that everything points to the colonists being long gone, does the multiple fires that were set the previous days, does that sort of uh, indicate anything different to you going on? Well, if they have been long gone, then that means the fires were created by somebody else. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. But what, like, what do you think that person or people were doing on the island? Maybe stalking these new colonists. Mm-hmm. Trying to get them to also go the way these colonists, the, the original colonists went. Maybe mm-hmm. they're, you know, saying, hey, these people keep coming over, so we got to keep driving them out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember the show Ren and Stimpy? Yes. Because there is an episode where Ren goes to live in a cave because he is the unlucky beast, is what he calls himself. Everything he does is cursed. Governor White is the true unlucky beast. 
because as they returned to their sea vessel, the anchor cable snapped. <laughs> With only one remaining anchor, it was not safe to go to Croatoan Island. So after three years, he is 50 miles away from where he believes the colonists have gone, and the ship can't make it there because one of the damn anchors fell off the boat. The plan was then to spend the winter in the Caribbean and return to spring when it was safe to do so. With the idea being that they were just going to pirate for the winter, or I should say privateer, to make it legal pirating for the season, and White was pretty much left out of that decision making. But being the cursed beast that he is, the damn boat was then blown off course, and then they tried to go to a different port. The winds then prevented them from getting to that port, and then they just sort of said, screw this, we're going back to England. White even referred to himself as being born under an unlucky star. So close and yet so far away. What do you make of this? Like, he's, It's like he's in a dream and he just can't go anywhere. What do you make of that, Angel? <laughs> I wonder how uh, soon after all these events he noticed he was born under an unlucky star. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder how unlucky he was in childhood. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just... Everything bad just keeps happening. He just never really noticed until this one so, thing. Until the worst goddamn three years of his life. <laughs> he becomes governor of a colony, of, or governor of the city of Raleigh, and then it just goes to shit. <laughs> With White returning to England, the search pretty much ended. There were a few more attempts, even around 20 years later, by the colonists in Jamestown to go look for the lost colonists, but they were never found. So let's take a look at a few theories that were out there so there are several major ones like mainly that they were killed by the natives or captured then dispersed as slaves to the other tribes or that they integrated into native life within a friendly tribe and were never seen of again so for instance they went to croatoan island which was a um a friendly group of natives for the original settlers so they thought well maybe they could help us too and since john white was anchored off the island he just never noticed that they were there and then moved on and then could never return back to verify that is where that they went. But, curiously enough, from 1937 to 1941, a collection of inscribed stones were discovered that are believed to have been written by John White's daughter, Eleanor Dare. The stones were found near the Chowan River in Virginia. The first stone found had this written on it. So on the first side it read, Ananus Dare and Virginia went to heaven, 1591. So that would have been a year after he returned back to England, uh, John White. Any Englishman show this rock to John White, governor of Virginia. The other side read, Father, soon after you go for England, we came here. Only misery and war for two years. Above half dead these two years, more from sickness being 24. A savage with a message of a ship came to us. Within a small space of time, they became frightened of revenge and ran all away. We believe it was not you. Soon after, the savages said spirits were angry. Suddenly, they murdered all save seven. My child and Ananus, too, were slain with much misery. Buried all near four miles east of this river upon a small hill. Names were written all there on a rock. Put this there also. If a savage shows this to you, we promised you would give them great plenty presents. And it's just with the initials E-W-D. So what do you make of this first of what is known as the Dare Stones? Well, when I read about them, I didn't realize I 
picture them smaller, but with all that writing, they, they must be pretty big. <laughs> it's a damn long notice or <laughs> message on the back of that stone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have any reason to believe this is not authentic. Yeah, and, and the authenticity of it, of the first stone, was never proven or disproven. It was found by a guy that he claimed he was just walking by the river, and they could never make, say that this was faked. However, an additional 47 stones found scattered mainly in Georgia are largely considered to be a hoax from stonecutter Bill Everhart. So he just decided one day, I'm going to make some stones that look like this first dare stone. <laughs> and just <laughs> put stories about this stuff yep. in there. <laughs> yep, just stories of, of Mrs. Dare traveling around North America <laughs> by herself and trying to live. I guess he had nothing better to do. So the, the next theory is actually very specifically a zombie theory. So there is a zombie research society and researcher Andre Freeman suggests that it may have been the work of zombies. This is coming from the zombie research society's website. Freeman considered the findings of noted Harvard archeologist, Lawrence Stagger, who unearthed evidence of mass cannibalism at the Roanoke site. He also points to reports from local tribes stating that the colonists died in a great war within their own ranks. A sudden undead plague sweeping through the unprepared colony would quickly become a horrific, violent feast, leaving not a single man, woman, or child alive, is a quote there from the researcher. He goes on to suggest that the relative isolation of the settlement and time elapsed before the return of the supply ship would allow for the remaining colonial zombies to rot back into the earth. Without any humans left to feed on, so no way to spread the infection, the zombie outbreak would have simply died off. If Freeman is correct, there could be something sinister still in the ground on Roanoke Island, waiting to be released into a modern population that is more advanced, more connected, but just as unprepared as ever. So what do you think of the zombie theory? I'm pretty sure people live on Roanoke Island. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the the dastardly part of it all. It could they, those zombies could rise back up through the sand. It could be any day now. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think the zombie thing is just as plausible as the drop of stones being real. <laughs> so, how about then the actual research that went into it of signs of cannibalism on the island? So, do you think that could have been a possibility of the shit just went so sour they just started to eat each other? Yeah. I don't see why not. Um, some people have uh, have said that maybe the natives were cannibals as well, mm -hmm. but there's no evidence of that. Um, the The natives did believe of the Wendigo. I've read that there were stories of them talking about at least the colonists kind of going mad in that sense. They succumbed to the Wendigo by committing yeah. that sin of eating the flesh, yeah. That's a, a cool little tie-in to what we looked at before. It's like mm -hmm. th being that the natives wouldn't have eaten them because they already knew of the adverse effects of doing so. Are there any other theories that you found or of your own that you want to throw in our little colonial hat here? Yes. This is my favorite one so far. It's the word croatone that was carved on the palisade wall. Innocuous enough. But apparently, that word was also one of Edgar Allan Poe's 
Uh, it was his last words. Yes. Word before dying. <laughs> dying uh, in a street or wherever he died. And supposedly uh, before he died, he had disappeared. And so a lot of a lot of the theory of this is that every time that word has appeared, there has been some kind of disappearance. So we have Edgar Allan Poe, the stagecoach robber Who? Black Bart. Black Bart, yeah, Black Bart carved, did it. <laughs> carved the word into the wall of his cell before he was released from prison, and then he was never seen or heard from again. Mm-hmm. Amelia Earhart's journal contained the word. And she disappeared. <laughs> the last bed that horror writer Ambrose Bierce slept in before he disappeared in Mexico in 1913 had the word Croton carved into one of the posts. Croton was written on the last page of the logbook of the ship Carol A. Deering when it crashed on Cape Hatteras near Croton Island. Mm-hmm. The ship was missing its entire crew. So, yeah, it seems like that word has some sort of magic ability to whisk you away which which uh remind um goes back to what i said of uh, uh, that word being some sort of password mm-hmm. password in the goddamn alternate dimension like, <laughs> why is this word popping up over and over and over again in history you know i wouldn't be surprised if they found the crow toe and somewhere on that philadelphia experiment ship <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It was the word that they knew would help them travel. They some some poor engineers like you know what? I'm gonna just carve Croatoan in here. It's it's it won't do anything. And then bam, he melds into the damn floor. And then that dude and his brother have to hop off during the time jump. And you know he goes 600 years into the future. Yep. <laughs> and then like back to Mars in 10,000 BC. And, and harvest dark energy. I mean, all because some dude wrote Croatoan onto the whole <laughs> yep. ship. Damn it. It's uh, the Edgar Allan Poe one was very specifically like weird to me for some reason. Yeah. I like, can you imagine that being one like your last words whispering Croatoan? <laughs> you, then you he die. Was suppo- he was supposedly delirious. <laughs> And he's like saying random words, and the last word is croton. Like, what? God damn. Yeah, I think he, um, from what I remember, his, uh, he had like wounds that looked like he had been beaten in the head, too. So he, he probably wasn't doing too well in his own mental facilities. But mm-hmm. it, maybe, maybe the croton Indians killed him. It was, there was, a, it was his warning yeah. that they're coming back. And, but <laughs> their only target was Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. <laughs> so let's jump right on into the rubric of power. Get me off this ride edition. How would you rank the in their shoes moment of how scary it would be to go through this vanishing of a colony? Well, I've thought about this from the multiple points of view. Like the first group disappeared. And then it wasn't until like the third group or the fourth group that they were seeing the, the signs of civilization. Mm-hmm. And then they're like kind of freaked out. They didn't even go search for it. They, get, they didn't get offshore when they were on the boats. So I guess at that point they were scared. But overall, I don't think it was scary. I think in a survival situation, whatever's happening, if you just needed to survive, you don't got time to be scared. You just got to do what you got to do mm-hmm. to get things um, going. If it's as as they say that they just moved on to somewhere else, then that's not scary at all. No, yeah. And uh, with Governor White just having 
bad luck all, all around. He couldn't go to the island to see if they were there. And I just said, let's just go back to England. Screw mm-hmm. this. Yep. And then he never got another chance to get back there. So he's like, yeah. well, this sucks. <laughs> Guess I'm not yeah. governor anymore. <laughs> governor for a day or something. <laughs> of three years of a city here, I even saw. I ranked it a one. The, the scary part here is going to a brand new continent in your own context of understanding mm-hmm. trying to live there that would be scary as shit but like these people signed on with a gentleman artist as their governor expecting them to start new lives in a new world i don't know why you would necessarily do that <laughs> um well, it's it's interesting because it's like they're being directed by a bunch of humanities people you got the <laughs> You got Shakespeare sending them all off onto this mission to begin with. And the first governor is a watercolor enthusiast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you got the swine bringing you out there. The swine and then marooning you. <laughs> I mean, from the start, this is a bad decision. Uh, I mean, my God. The the first people couldn't do it. And now a bunch of middle class Londoners would be like, yeah, we can do it. Let's go. <laughs> So I ended up falling on a 2.75. Life at that time, my understanding was just scary all the time. <laughs> you never knew when you're going to die, so I might as well go to New World. How about the uh, believability? Is it too outlandish? Uh, not at all. I mean, it happened. Yeah, it's another one of these that it happened. What happened or why it happened is the thing we don't know. But the theories, I believe, the believability of the theories are what, hmm. you know, I don't think there are zombies. That's silly. <laughs> I don't think anything supernatural happened besides going through the portal when you say the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a given. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think I think the most plausible is, yeah, they, they probably integrated with the native life. I mean, mm-hmm. there's people that claim that that there are Croatoans now that are essentially white natives. Yeah, believability is a four. Same exact thoughts here. I gave it a, a four. I mean, it... it it happened. It sucked. The 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 sheer bad fortunes that Governor White had trying to like navigate on these boats. I can only imagine the frustration of like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're trying to get back. You can't. The Queen says no. You can't do it. You eventually get a waiver. <laughs> Two weeks later, you get accosted by pirates and you get shot in the ass. I mean, <laughs> you're just trying you're, to get back to your people. Then your anchor breaks. <laughs> you're 50 miles away. You had already angered off the shoreline of where they supposedly went. I mean, mm-hmm. I can only imagine how this man just sat awake <laughs> every single night for the rest of his life being like, what just happened? <laughs> just reliving every single night of those last three years over and over and over again. I can't even imagine what that was like. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I give it a four. How about the lore and mystique? I think this one was one of the one, the kind of thing that I was looking for when we, uh, when I look into lore and mystique. Um, mm-hmm. An event happened, and there are multiple theories about it, and nobody can agree on anything. And I like that they get more and more outlandish. Like, oh, the people just moved on. The people just integrated with the natives. The people were cannibalized. No, mm-hmm. the people cannibalized themselves. No, the people were zombies. <laughs> no, the people were whisked away because of the magical word. <laughs> it just <laughs> keeps getting more and more. And I'm like, yes, this is what I live for. Mm-hmm. 
I, I saw one specifically based on the entire idea that they were abducted by aliens. <laughs> of course. You can't forget the aliens. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't one that owls killed them. <laughs> and, I mean, if you include the stories that have been written about the them, uh, the colony, then you um, then that expands it even more. I gave it a three. Other ones, like other sort of theories that added on to that, that there were some stories from the natives about a devil or creature in the woods who would possess people was sort of an idea that maybe the natives had that these people got possessed and could have maybe led to some sort of uh, cannibalistic urges, like I mentioned before. Another one was that there is an idea that um, some sort of entity that had the power to turn the colonists into trees and that they were just like grounded into the island itself as of Roanoke and became a part of the island as trees was another belief among the natives. There's also uh, a belief that they used the one remaining boat that was left behind with them to go up to the coast of Maine, where there are English fishers who could possibly have helped, but their boat just never made it. Or like the with the dare stones that some of them made it to the Chesapeake Bay and, and went off to some other land to survive and, and eventually just die. There was just so much going on with it. And then Edgar Allan Poe getting involved with his last <laughs> words. That's ever crazy. Yeah. Once I got to the Edgar Allan Poe part, I was like, my God, this is there's too much going on now. <laughs> Leave yeah. it to Edgar Allan Poe to have that as one of his last words. I landed on at three for Lauren Mystique. So how about danger? I think of these kinds of things. You you mentioned this a lot. Like back then, life was always scary. Um, just sucked. Ta- <laughs> yeah, we, life sucked. Yeah, we, we talked about this yeah, in previous Life episodes. sucks and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where the saying came from. Like they weren't living like we live now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's like the amount of danger of doing any of the things they did. The fact that they just kept coming after all these things would go bad, go wrong, and they just kept no, no, we, well, you know, I want like I wonder how many people in this day and age would give up the moment something they're doing this kind of the same thing, and then like their their ship just breaks. Do they just mm-hmm. give up, or do they push on through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, like the nearest equivalent of what happened here for this day and age now would be going to Mars and then being like, well, this sucks. Let's just get out of here. <laughs> like <Yeah>. that, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Like you, you, you got to stay there. <laughs> it's going to be months before aid returns uh, to help you. Sir Francis Drake isn't going to show up on Mars and just save everybody. <laughs> yeah. I think because this level of danger existed on, on the base level, I think with the addition of traveling to, to trying to establish this colony, I think it um, it brings it up that level just slightly, and I gave it a 2.75. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was very similar here. I was like, the, I'm not sure so much it was danger or just like ineptitude and unluckiness. And then like all these boats relying on wind like you can't get to the damn port because the winds are blowing the wrong way and then you're like well screw this now we have to go back to england because (laughs) we don't have enough supplies to try to get to this port or if we don't go back to england now we're just all gonna die like (laughs) it's just so i I can't even imagine being in that situation of like (laughs) 
the insanity of just trying to get from so from england down the coast towards france then down from there to to take the trade winds to the uh, caribbean islands and then going back up the coast of um the east coast of north america just to get to this damn island and then you get plopped there by the swine <laughs> when you're supposed to be going to the chesapeake bay which is much nicer uh, oh my god it was just a nor like a sort of well life was just dangerous at the time there anyway so i i ended up landing on it too and then finally the impact on popular culture i mentioned this to you earlier about how this the roanoke thing the whole colony thing is to me is one of those things that I think is up there with like Bigfoot and Nessie where people probably have heard about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I've heard about it all my life in through various media. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is a made up memory of mine or not, but I'm pretty sure one of my uh, elementary teachers taught us specifically about this lost colony. And that's all I remember is the lost colony thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, it's usually followed by the first white English woman born in North America was Virginia Dare, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, Virginia Dare, amazing. Yeah. Ama- you were just <laughs> born in a new place, like it's not some grand accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I also know that there were some things that were fired by these events. Uh, Paul Green wrote a play called The Lost Colony. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with that, but Franklin D. Roosevelt attended it. I think it started in 37 and it continues today. It's like the longest produced play in America. Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt attended the play on Virginia there's mm-hmm. 350th birthday. So want to want to learn something not fun about Virginia Dare? Sure. There is a academic that basically no one cared about Virginia Dare at all <laughs> until about the I think it was the mid to late 1800s when a guy was like Ooh, I could use this name. And then she started to be used as like this focal point for white nationalism. So like this idea of we got to put all this effort behind the first white person born in America. And she was like putting coins and stuff like that. But yeah, it was more of like a white nationalist stand to try to (laughs) unite people against immigrants built around Virginia Dare. So not so much fun stuff with her. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Is she rolling in her grave? (laughs) No, because she's a zombie now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So Har- Harlan Ellison, he's famous for writing A Boy and His Dog, I think is what it's called. It's in, in part of uh, inspiration for the Fallout series. He's also He also wrote a short story called Crow Toen, which takes on a more paranormal uh, mm-hmm. stance to it. Stephen King had a TV miniseries that I watched i remember watching this when it aired called storm of the century which was also inspired by the uh the events that happened on roanoke was it was it any good it was interesting I, I i mean it was 90s acting but i think it was it was not bad it was gripping as they say <laughs> i've been gripped by stephen king <laughs> um apparently there's an episode on it on, on supernatural as well this is interesting a Batman Spawn graphic novel. <laughs> of all, all crossovers. <laughs> Dealing with Croatoan. Yeah, it states that Croatoan was the name of a powerful demon who, in the 20th century, attempts to sacrifice the entirety of Gotham City to Satan. So maybe maybe Croatoan is the password to get 
whisked away to another dimension. <laughs> that dimension being hell. Yep, Satan dimension. <laughs> There's a novel came out 2015 the last american vampire colonists were the victims of a vampire uh there's a american horror story episode based on it i think there's a whole season a whole uh, season yeah. possibly um i watched the first season and then after when i started watching the second the, the first two episodes of the second season i was like yeah i'm over this <laughs> oh <laughs> i like the second season i i couldn't I, I like the first one was okay, and then I, after that, I was like, no, I wanted it to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. Like I'm not gonna keep naming things, but a lot of stuff that has been, inf- uh, that has used the the colony as like a inspiration for this kind of thing. However, despite despite all the stuff I've named, it doesn't feel like it's had a huge mm-hmm. impact. Whereas the uh, the the vampire scare, you know, started the whole whole trend of Anne Rice style vampires, and so I gave it a two point five. Yeah, uh, very similar here. The only other thing I wanted to add was I very specifically remember watching on the Sci Fi Channel a movie called it's called Wraiths of Roanoke, but it was also known as Lost Colony, and came out in two thousand seven, starring Adrian Paul of uh highlander tv show fame i guess <laughs> i don't remember if he's in the movies he was in like the last movie yeah okay where they handed it off or something where uh, christopher lambert like hands off something <laughs> his head i mean you gotta die to... <laughs> I, mean, I don't know he's like trading swords i don't know but he's like no you're the the highlander I don't know. but he has to die to... there can only be one <laughs> so premise. but uh i've it's been so long uh since i saw this movie i very much don't remember any of it when I was reading about it, I was like, I don't remember this. I thought there were gargoyles involved, but it was ghosts. I feel like it would be a better movie if it was gargoyles. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. and so, hey, sci-fi original. It was a 95-minute movie. They did something. So I ended up landing on a 2.75 for Impact on Culture. What does your score add up to? My score adds up to a 13.25. I was at a 14 and a half. Wow. This score ends up going to a... 13.875. Wow. Yeah, a very interesting topic. I think my favorite part of all of it, beyond just like the wild theories that are out there, uh, is just like the insane bad luck that just surrounded all of it from the very get go of trying to establish a colony in America. Like, <laughs> the guy got shot in the ass by French pirates. <laughs> <laughs> Those Frenchmen. So before we disappear off into the either, just like to remind all of you curiosities out there that we are on Twitter at Cracking Curios. And perhaps you all have questions you might want to ask of us. And you can include your hashtag Cryptids and maybe hashtag Croatoan as well. See, maybe you'll get whisked away somewhere. Maybe they'll get whisked away and meet with at Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it could happen. <laughs> if he's not filming Vampire Busters. We're also on Instagram. <laughs> I keep, you keep mentioning that movie and I keep getting surprised about it. <laughs> at Dan Aykroyd. Please make Vampire Busters. 
release the vampire busters cut. <laughs> and you can also follow us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. You can also send us an email crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. If you're not, uh, subscribe to us through some podcast streaming platform. What are you waiting for? We're on Amazon, Stitcher, Audible, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, and Apple iTunes. I'm sure there's more that you can find us on. I would like to say that we meant we talked about Demi Lovato last time, and it wasn't until after we recorded that they came out as non-binary and we may have referred to them as she or her, but we have corrected this now. I have a little signing off present for our curiosities out there. Toodles. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. Can do a a wowie countdown. Unclap, say wowie. Three, two, one. Wowie. 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 Wow. E. A lot of lot of wows coming from my side. Wow. Think I know where the wowies came from. <laughs> <laughs>